usually I'm very decisive when it comes to what I want to talk about and what I want to put out there. But when it comes down to this subject, I had some doubts. And rightfully so, I believe, because I think the majority of people are very closed off to talking about certain things. And I do believe that that's where I want to just dive right in. I think that talking about anything that goes against conventional thinking is immediately shut down. And I do believe that that's a dangerous path that we are following. Anything that deals in like very black and white, if it isn't this and it's that sort of thinking, I just don't believe that that's healthy. It's um, The subject is very dense, obviously, and I do want to make sure that it's understood that this is by no means any sort of medical advice. This is my experience and my opinion. And obviously, everybody has different experiences and different opinions when it comes down to this stuff. And it's just like anything else. So this book um, that I will be talking about today, it's called The, Vac- the Vaccine Epidemic. Um, how Corporate Greed, Bias, Science, and Coercive gov- Government Threaten Our Human Rights, Our Health, and Our Children. And this was edited by Louis Kuo Habaku, Director for the Center of Personal Rights, and Mary Holland, J.D., Research Scholar, NYU School of Law, with Kim Mack Rosenberg. Okay, And this book came to me in 2013, probably. I've had it for a while. And I sort of already had some experience with this whole thing um and this is what i want to talk about first the experience that i had with vaccines so um 10 years old i was going into sixth grade so i must have been 10 or 11 and it was around this time where there was a lot of um things happening in my my personal life as much as a child can have a personal life obviously um but there was a lot I was undergoing a lot of um stress and a lot of trauma around that age and I do believe that that was one of the things that made me more susceptible to what happened to me um going into sixth grade you have there's a requirement that you have to have certain vaccines obviously and before you were able to be enrolled and able to attend school And this was back in 2001, 2002. Um, So I don't remember the specifics of it, but I do know that um, my mother lost the card where they put all of the vaccines that you've gotten throughout the years. And I know back then it was a little bit less than it is now. But at the time, I think it was about maybe... 25 that I had gotten that I had gotten by that time 25 vaccines now some of them they do put them in the same shot so you only get one shot but it's a combination combination vaccine so it has either two or three so that you don't get poked as many times but I since they lost the card um, I had to get them all over again because there was no way to prove that I had gotten them everything is digitalized digitalized now so it's completely different you don't even really need the card to show to prove that you got them or you haven't gotten them because it's all online but that was not the case back then this is the year 2001 and it was completely different 
So it was the summer of 2001 before going into sixth grade and the card is lost. So I have to get all of the shots all over again. And I'm not talking just about a few. I'm talking about the whole schedule that I had gotten since I was a little baby. So like I said, it was about maybe 20 or 25 shots. So there's um, maybe two months before school starts. And I specifically remember that I had to go back to the doctor probably like once every week or every two weeks to get shots so that I would be caught up and able to start school on time. Now, at the time, me being 11 years old, I have no say over my body, which is one of the things that's just so fucking horrible because I knew better. I knew better than this. I knew that this was not going to be good for me. I had a deep feeling. Even, even not knowing what what really what it really means to overload your body like that I did not know that but I had an intuitive feeling that it was not good for me to get that amount of shots in that amount of time when I had already gotten all of them there was just no proof in paper so I knew this before even reading before even knowing about any of this stuff I knew this intuitively and I think that's one of the things about me like I I didn't speak English when I was in fifth grade and not like not one word and going through the lessons um, like specifically like math and like all these other things that were so easy for me because this was stuff that I had learned already years before but even the stuff that I didn't understand because it was like a whole language barrier I got it I understood it like I feel like in my mind I'm just very not even in my mind I feel like there's some sort of claircognizance there and like clairsentience if you know about the clairs like I had a feeling and my feeling is usually correct it's which is kind of um uh, it's just a little bit not scary but it's just like I I'm learning to trust that more and more each time my feelings are usually correct and it could be about a little thing and it can be about big things but Anyhow, I knew that this was not good for my body and I told this to the doctor and I told this to my mom and they just thought that I just didn't want to get the shots because I was being a baby. Like they usually think, you know, about children. Children don't know any better. So I got all of the shots in the span of about two months, 20 to 25 shots, and my body did not have a good reaction to them. Um, the first thing that happened is I started having horrible joint pain. So this was already when I had started school, like that summer was over and I'm already in sixth grade and I had the worst, the worst joint pain. Um, I remember specifically a lot of, um, my ankles, like the back of my ankles area, like there's a little bone, I think it's called your heel, heel, I don't know, um, something like that, um that area i'm actually looking it up right now because this is important yeah akil's heel mm, yep that's exactly what hurt so it's a tendon that area was so i'm i'm assuming it was some sort of inflammation inflammation going on there because the shoe, if the shoe touched that part of my of my foot of the back of my ankle it was so painful i could not i could not stand anything touching that and so that's how 
it kind of started um so it sort of started with that and um I remember specifically I had a PE where we had to run like miles and it was so bad I could not do it and it just it was just a very horrible experience to go through, through to be like in such pain and not be taken seriously or not being understood or thinking that I was just making it up because I didn't want to do the physical work. Um, so it was a few months of that. Um, one day, it was around that time that um, September, October, maybe I woke up and I had the worst, worst headache uh, I used to get headaches a lot when I was like a smaller, but I think that had a lot to do with just energy and not being able to just block all of it coming in. It was just like constant energy and it was just very bad. It was very overwhelming. This was when I was around three and four and five, but this sort of headache was different. I woke up and I turned around and I used to have like some um, bunk beds. So I was sleeping in the bottom. So I turned around and as I turned around, everything kept turning. So it was like a dizziness and it was vertigo. I had vertigo. I woke up and I got up and I went straight to the restroom and I threw up. It was a Sunday. I threw up the entire day. I was sick as a fucking dog. I don't know what was going on. Um, again, I was I was a child, so I didn't really have much of a say in what what happened to me growing up my caregiver was just very controlling it was very overwhelming so um that day I don't think I don't think I went to the doctor they didn't take me to the doctor but I was very sick I didn't stop throwing up the whole night and there was a Burger King kind of close to my house and I loved Burger King and so we went to Burger King and my mom bought me um a burger and fries and I was it was like my favorite meal I loved like um chicken it was a chicken sandwich and fries so I ate like two fries and I ran to the restroom because I was I just couldn't keep it down I threw up and the next day Monday I woke up and my face was so pale it was really horrible and I still had to go to school one of the things that about middle school is that I had perfect attendance for the entire three years which is so fucking uh it's ridiculous just I used to go to school and I was sick and just it, it just wouldn't matter I would still have to show up which is borderline abusive horrible sort of um way that I was brought up so anyway um so that happens and that was the fall of 2001 which was following the months where I had to get the all of the shots in such a short amount of time it was a joint pain at the back of my ankles um I remember my hands would hurt sometimes that's when I sort of started cracking my fingers all the time to sort of um it felt like pressure to relieve it and it they hurt so bad that other day that I woke up and I had vertigo and um I started getting these little bumps on my shins and I think like oh I must have just like walked into something it's a bruise and it'll go away on its own and then I started getting more and more and I end up getting I think it was about maybe 30 something bumps all over my two shins on my legs like right under my knees all the way down I think I had like a couple like on the top of my foot and they were very painful they were so painful that when I was putting on my jeans if they grazed the bumps it would be hell like I would be crying and I know 
this might sound like I'm exaggerating, but I think you wouldn't understand the level of pain that I felt unless you've experienced it yourself. And what I had at the time is this condition called erythema nodosum, which is a painful disorder characterized by tender bumps, nodules under the skin. Erythema nodosum is an inflammatory disorder. In many cases, the cause is unknown. In some cases, it may be triggered by strep throat or other infections. So it's an inflammatory disorder. I did not have any um, symptoms of strep or any other infection that they knew of. And the symptoms were, they were um, like firm, hot, red. Like I had a fever as well, like painful lumps on my shins. They when they were going away, I was taken to the doctor for that and the doctor prescribed me antibiotics and I don't know if that helped. I don't think it did. I think my body just sort of got rid of it in time because they did last a long time. They lasted months. And so my body just kind of got rid of them and now I have, I do have some scar tissue there. Mm, I believe they do sort of um affect it your muscle and like even like your skin and I feel like even your bone I can feel like the dents in my shins even now as to the area that they were um so that happened around that time I just kept getting sick I had the joint pain I had that these are like the the things that stand that stand out the most these three things like the joint pain the erythema nodosum and the vertigo that I got like combined with some sort of like nausea and just horrible um feeling I I, I felt like I was gonna die uh so I believe looking back years you know years after that all of these things were caused because my body was sort of um just overload completely with all of these vaccines that I had to get in such a short amount of time. Like I said, I obviously have no proof. I cannot go back in time and, you know, get my blood from back then and prove that my shit, my body was just so completely overloaded, didn't know what to do. But my intuition is that bitch. (laughs) So this is what I believe. And I am going to talk now about why I believe that. Okay, so I do have some theories as to why my body specifically went through that stuff. Some of the things that I think are different about me that made me, made me more susceptible to having these injuries because they were vaccine injuries, even though they were not reported, even though everybody was sort of in denial of it. And if you look up um, just the things that I've talked about, you will see that they are side effects of certain vaccines. So erythema nodosum is an an inflammatory reaction that your body has. And I do think it has something to do with your immune system being sort of um, uh, overloaded and kind of going overboard to uh, a reaction because vaccines do have live viruses so your body thinks it's being attacked so it's like okay i'm gonna do all this stuff to try to get rid of whatever is trying to attack me um reading about the experiences with these specific with this specific disease which never came back again it was just a one-time thing but it does tend to come back 
is crazy because it's painful. Like people were people that have this thing, erythema nodosum, they stay in bed and like legs elevated because it's painful to walk. And I specifically remember that it was so painful to walk and it was just really horrible to like not for nobody like nobody believes me like I literally like I'm in so much pain it hurts to walk and everyone was like oh you stop being a fucking baby and this shout out to that PE teacher that told me that (laughs) anyway so I do think that blood type has a lot to do with it I do believe that people that have RH negative blood tend to be more sensitive to certain ingredients in vaccines and tend to not be able to metabolize the heavy metals contained in them. And their bodies tend to have more of an immune response to to these things. Um, I do want to make clear that I am not anti-vax. I'm not anti-vaccine. I do think that vaccines have offered the world so much. Um, I do have a problem, though, with the amount so I do def- I, I definitely believe vaccines save lives. The you know, they were able to eradicate polio and measles and smallpox, you know, that shit is that that's that's dope. But I have a problem with the amount, which is what I'm gonna talk about right now. As I'm looking through this and I'm rereading this book and I'm researching all of these things obviously online and I can't help but feel that this is such a heavy subject and this is not as simple as being anti-vax and pro-vax and I think that's where we as a society need to really take a look at because we tend to be very polarized it's either black or white we need to understand that everything is so complicated and so multi-layered and we can't go by one solution for the all I think that's the thing we cannot expect one thing to work for everybody and that goes for everything so I am gonna I want to talk a little bit about the the sheer just the amount of vaccines and how that has changed throughout time so in 1986 the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act was passed and it's HR 5546 and this created the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program VICP Um, Which means pretty much that if you get injured by a vaccine, which does happen and it happens pretty often, you cannot sue the manufacturer of the vaccine. You have to go to um, report the reaction to, um, it's called VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. And from there, you know, it kind of starts this sort of thing that then if they find that the vaccine did injure you, they will pay out from that so the fund the national vaccine injury compensation fund is formed and the money comes from a tax on each vaccine that is given so that makes sense right like there's nothing there's pretty much nothing that they have to pay out of pocket per se so there is and this is like information that's readily available to anybody that cares to look for it. In 1986, there was a required 12 shots for children. So this was before this was formed, right? The National Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund. So there was only 12 shots that were required. And this is like the regular, you know, the MMR, the polio, HIV, DTP. And it's uh, two months, four months, six months, 15 months, 
18, two years, four years, and 14 years, uh, tuberculosis and all of those. And then we fast forward to the 2019, and there's 54 shots required. Um, their reasoning, I would say the reasoning that they say, that they tell the parents and everybody is like, you need to have the immune system constantly like be on point because immunity from the vaccine does wear off and I'm pretty sure there's such a thing as if you do get the disease like I got um chickenpox when I was a kid so because I got chickenpox I am forever um immune to it I can't get it again I can't get shingles though because the chickenpox uh virus stays in your body so it's pretty much dormant and then something can trigger it usually like stress um, and then you get shingles, which is supposed to be very painful. Um, but if you get a vaccine, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're 100% immune to it. You can still get it. The way the vaccines work, for those of you that might not know, is they usually inject you with a live virus. It's a, it's a weakened live virus, which makes your immune system kind of be like, okay, like I'm, I'm on top of this. Like I will remember this next time that I come into contact with it and I will kill it before it even has a chance to do anything to like really get into my body, you know. So that's how that works. Um, again, I want to I want to reiterate the amount of vaccines that was required before 1986, before that act passed, where you can't sue a vaccine manufacturer. Before 1986, it was 12 shots. Fast forward to I'm looking at a chart from 2019, and now it's 54 shots required by the age of 18 years old, and this includes like a yearly flu shot, which is not required yet. But I'm pretty sure that's going to change with everything that's going on right now. It's probably going to be required to work and live and just be. <laughs> Babies at birth get two shots. The vitamin K shot, which helps with um, blood clotting, and the hepatitis B shot. This is whether the mother is hepatitis B positive or negative. They don't really care. They kind of give those two to every single baby that is born in a hospital. They get the vitamin K shot and the hepatitis B. They also get like this ointment on their eyes, whether they're born a vaginal birth or C-section. It's sort of like a modus operandi of hospitals and the way that things are done now. At two months, you go back to your first postpartum. Well, you go back at two weeks, but then after that, you go back at two months to your postpartum and the first, the baby's first doctor appointment after they are born and they are given eight vaccines i'm pretty sure two of those shots are combined so they're only poked maybe three or four times not very sure about that but babies are given eight vaccines at two months old most babies when they go home they drop weight and that depends a lot also if you're breastfeeding it's normal for the baby to be born and then lose up to a pound in the first couple of months because you're breastfeeding and then after that they sort of they sort of started like getting chunky and that's normal so you have a six seven eight nine ten pound baby receiving um eight vaccines at two months old then you go back at four months old and they get another five and you go back at six months old and i don't know if my numbers are completely correct i am actually going to look it up now because i don't like being wrong um so it's sort of a a, a constant onslaught of chemicals that goes into these babies um, bloodstream um, I feel very deeply that this is probably not the correct way to go about it 
I do understand that babies are constantly, their, their immune systems definitely not the strongest because they just came out of the womb. But I do want to reiterate and say that breastfeeding is probably the best thing you can do for your baby in terms of immunity. Even if the mother tends to, or the mother gets the flu or like a cold, you keep breastfeeding through that. And it's such a beautiful thing because the baby is, is something having to do with the saliva of the baby that goes back into the mother's body and the mo- the mom's body builds the exact exact thing that the baby needs at that moment. It's just a beautiful thing. I think we have been interfering a lot with nature in that sense. And that makes me think a lot about um, just babies. There's, there's a name for it, sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS. Which is just saying it in itself sounds so horrible. Sudden infant death syndrome. I have a theory and I won't get in I won't I'm not gonna get too much into that because this episode's not about that, but I do think that for the first few months a baby needs to be with its mother or with the caretaker, literally skin to skin all the time. I we are mammals and that is what we are meant to do. So sudden infant death syndrome um, the correlation between that and just the onslaught of um, chemicals and stuff that the babies receive the first year of life. Nobody has looked into that. Everybody just thinks a baby stops breathing in the middle of the night. And I'm not claiming anything. I'm, I'm not claiming that I know anything. I am just saying, and I understand correlation does not equal causation. I get that. I'm a very logical minded person, but there is something there for sure. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about herd immunity, and I think this is very important to understand. The following paragraph is from page 27. Okay. What is most salient and troubling about the theory of herd immunity is that the original basis for its validity, validity has nothing to do with vaccines. People observed the protective effect in the community when a sufficiently high number of individuals contracted the wild form of a disease and secured lifelong immunity. This enduring protection from the natural acquisition and resolution of disease is what public health officials called herd immunity. In the 1930s and 40s, health officials began using techniques of mass persuasion and aggressive salesmanship to increase the public's compliance in receiving vaccines. They reviewed the scant literature on limited empirical data and enlisted epidemiological theory to help endorse vaccinations and execute achieve target rates. Since vaccine-induced immunity appeared to afford protection similar to natural immunity, officials presumed that vaccines could also create herd immunity. Vaccine-induced immunity, however, is not the same as natural immunity. Repeat that. Vaccine-induced immunity, however, is not the same as natural immunity. A person who contracts measles in early childhood will never get the disease again. A person with vaccine-induced immunity will need to receive boosters or assess his or her antibody levels periodically. Vaccine-induced immunity is is different. Vaccines do not always work, and even when they do, their protection weakens over time. So, like I've mentioned before, I am not anti-vax. I don't believe that we should stop vaccinating our children. I think they have offered us a lot of value in regards to child mortality, 
But I do believe that vaccines are not for everybody. And I do believe that the schedule we have currently, especially, is not for everybody. Um, I do want to give a little insight into how vaccines work. This is like the very, very basic way of explaining it. Um, vaccines sometimes contain live viruses. So say you're going to get injected with, I'm not sure if this is correct. I'm just saying it out of the top of my head here. If you get injected with a hepatitis B vaccine, um, in theory, you might have some of that hepatitis B virus alive. I don't think that one has a live virus. I'm not sure if it does, um, but it injects you. They're like a training course for your immune system. They prepare your body to fight symptoms without exposing it to fight the disease without exposing your body to symptoms or without triggering your body to have symptoms um, when these foreign sort of um, viruses come in contact with your body it has to do with your t-cells i think it has something to do with that um, immune cells i think they're called lympho lymphocytes they produce antibodies which are protein molecules. So then the next time, if you do actually get exposed to the real virus, like the wild virus, virus, your body will remember and spring into action in a sort of quick way. They'll be like, okay, I know what this is. We know how to handle it. And okay, so I do know that the flu shot does have a weekend live virus in it. Um... So, okay, I'm looking over here. The measles, mumps, rubella vaccine has live virus. The varicella vaccine has a, a live virus, rotavirus, and the influenza. Yes, so um, when you are injecting the body, this is like not the only thing that vaccines contain. Obviously, there has to be some sort of like... Um, you know, liquid or other ingredients to to make it work. So these are some of the vaccine ingredients that they have. So they have aluminum, um, thimerosal, which is mercury, a type of mercury. They have gelatin, gel, which is gel, like um, like actual, like if you know where gelatin is comes from. Um, sorbitol emulsifiers. Um, egg proteins. That's why it's very important. If you're allergic to any of these these things, you have to understand that you have to be very careful when it comes to getting these things. Okay, so they have preservatives, adjuvants, stabilizers, residual cell culture materials, and this is straight from the CDC.gov um, website. Okay, so some of them say, for example, preservatives. They have thimerosal. Um, and it says over here that it's certain dose vials of the flu vaccine and it's to prevent contamination. Adjuvants, which is aluminum salts or any sort of aluminum to help boost the body's response to the vaccine. Stabilizers like sugar and gelatin to keep the vaccine effective after manufactured. Um, egg protein to grow enough of the virus or bacteria to make the vaccine. So we're going to read here from the CDC website, see what they say. Okay. Thimerosal has a different form of mercury 
ethyl mercury than the kind that causes mercury poisoning. So thimerosal has ethyl mercury, and the kind that causes mercury poisoning is methyl mercury. It's safe to use ethyl mercury in vaccines because it's processed differently in the body and it's less likely to build up in the body, and because it's used in tiny amounts. Even so, most vaccines do not have any thimerosal in them. Because influenza and yellow fever vaccines are both made in eggs, egg proteins are present in the final product. However, there are two new flu vaccines now available for people with egg allergies. Okay. People who have severe egg allergies should be vaccinated in a medical setting and be supervised by a healthcare professional who can recognize and manage severe allergic reactions. Okay, and the third one is formaldehyde is diluted during the vaccine manufacturing process, but residual quantities of formaldehyde may be found in some current vaccines. The amount of formaldehyde present in some vaccines is so small compared to the concentration that occurs naturally in the body that it does not provide it does not pose a safety concern. This is straight from the CDC website. Um and this is like sort of um it sounds very like convincing, right? And I do I do have an opinion on that and I feel like a lot of us are very blind when it comes to certain things because we we believe that the government has our best interest in mind and we forget that the only thing that those people in power that the government cares about is profits and exploiting the general public we have to be honest. We have to really be honest with with ourselves and with each other. Uh, is is a government that's run by money and by corporations to be trusted with our health? I have an answer to that. I don't think they are to be trusted. I really, really don't. So this book was written or published in two thousand eleven, and the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, NVICP, was passed in, the law was passed in 1986. And over the past two decades, in the United States government has paid over $2 billion to families of children who died of, or have been permanently harmed by vaccinations. A government that requires individuals, particularly children, to be vaccinated knowing that some will die and others will be permanently disabled as a result risks losing all moral authority. This book was written in 2011. From 1986 to 2010-2011, $2 billion was awarded to families of children who have died or been permanently harmed by vaccination. So yes, these things happen. And they happen more often than you think. I want to give a small example here of what it means uh, to these manufacturers and how much money is really involved in these vaccines. So the HPV vaccine was introduced, um, I'm maybe 2008 i'm not too sure but i do know that it's not one of like the older older vaccines that have been required um so i have here in front of me what i want to talk about but i do want to see when the vaccine was introduced to the regular population 
Okay, so, okay, it's continuing. I was kind of off by a couple years. I had said 2008. Um, it was introduced in 2006 in the United States. Okay, so these are some HPV facts. Um, and if you don't know what HPV is, I think the majority of people that are sexually active have HPV in them. HPV. So, um, it is a human papillomavirus virus. Um, there's more than 100 varieties of HPV, 100 varieties of HPV. Some types of HPV infection can cause warts and some can cause different different types of cancer. Most HPV infections don't lead to cancer. Okay, HPV is the most common sexually transmitted in infection. It's different virus than HIV and HSV. 79 million Americans, most in their learn, late teens and early 20s, are infected with HPV. That's 79 million Americans. That is a crazy number. Okay, so let's see some HPV facts. Um, cervical cancer deaths per year. There's 4,000 cervical cancer deaths per year in the U.S., or 2.4 per 100,000 women. And this book, again, was written in 2011. It was published in 2011. So those statistics are from 2011. I am looking right now at my computer and the, stati the statistics for 2020. It has gone up for by a little bit. 4,290 deaths per year and this is for 2020 so back in 2011 it was 4,000 okay so 4,000 cervical cancer deaths per year in the U.S. women are 75 times more likely to die of heart disease than of cervical cancer just listen to that just that fact right there women are 75 times more likely to die of heart disease than of cervical cancer yet there's a McDonald's in almost every fucking corner <laughs> Okay, priorities, right? So 2.3%. Women ages 14 to 59 infected with the two types of HPV associated with cervical cancer. 30% of cervical cancer cases are not associate, associated with HPV. So there's a 2.3% of women ages 14 to 59 infected with the two types of HPV associated with cervical cancer. Not 23, 2.3%. Okay, 90% of HPV infections clear up on their own. This is the cost of um, vaccinating all 30 million females in target age range. 15 billion, 15 billion cost of vaccinating all 30 million females in target age range. Uh, okay, so here I am going to read. Okay. We already have a system in place for preventing cervical cancer that works very well. Regular pap smears, pap tests. Even the most vocal vaccine proponents admit the vaccine doesn't eliminate the need for pap testing or that most cervical cancer deaths occur in women who hadn't been screened in the previous five years. This system has reduced the incidence of cervical cancer for nearly, from nearly 15 and 100,000 women in 1975 to 6.8 per 100,000 women in 2009 just by getting your yearly pap smear. Which reminds me, I have to go get mine. And if you're out there and you're listening and you haven't gotten your pap smear, go get it, girl. Go now. I mean, make your appointment now. <laughs> Why fix something that isn't broken? The answer is obvious. Follow the money. 
In the United States, there are roughly 30 million females between the ages of 9 and 26 who are eligible for HPV vaccination, which requires three doses spread out over six months at a retail price of about $130 each, a $390 total. That's nearly $12 billion right into the pockets of Big Pharma. Now, let's add in the physician's fees and average the cost for the three-dose course at $500. 500 times, th times $30 million is $15 billion. Imagine spending $15 billion on a vaccination program with no hard evidence that any lives will be saved. Okay, so this is something that obviously is very important to me, and this is something that we have to understand that's, that has to be important to you. They are recommending the HPV vaccine for boys. Two doses of the HPV vaccine are recommended for all boys and girls at the ages of 11, 12. The vaccine can be given as early as 9. Okay? That is ridiculous. And there are some laws that are coming into place that will make it legal for your child to choose if he or she wants to be vaccinated while they are in school without your permission, without you even knowing. Okay? So, do I have a solution to this? I think the only logical solution and the only thing that might have a chance of working is to just take all of our power back and understand that with that comes a lot of responsibility. This is something that we have let go on for a long time. We have to understand that we being a parent takes work and that means you have to read, you have to learn, you have to be open, you have to understand that not everything is as black and white as you know, everybody makes it out to be. The fact is that vaccine injuries do happen. The fact is that the act that was passed in 1986 coincided with the big, huge jump in required vaccinations, almost three times more than was required before that. You have to be able to understand that there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. It's, it doesn't just happen by accident. None of this happens by accident. I think we have to be able to be open-minded and not be, not be so gullible either because you don't want to be influenced by somebody that's completely anti-vax because maybe your body does need that vaccination. Everybody's body is different. Maybe your body does need that to be able to fight the real disease when it does come around. Maybe somebody else's body won't be able to take a vaccination because they just cannot handle it. It might be their blood type. It might be just some things that they were born with that's just different in them. You don't, we don't understand a lot of the human body. Even in this year, 2020, there's a lot of things that we don't understand. So I think responsibility is a major one. And then being open-minded and being... You have to use, you have to be discernful. You have to use discernment, which means you have to look at many different perspectives and you have to come to your own conclusion. That is such a valuable thing to be able to do. You cannot be swayed. You cannot be persuaded. You cannot be just blinded completely either. So that is what I think we have to come to. Personal power and responsibility. Thank you so much for listening in. I love you guys. Can't wait for the next one. Next one's going to be amazing.